Oh, what a joy to be with you this morning. Um, down through the centuries, Christians have greeted one another uh, in a call and response way. Uh, we don't do it as often uh, in the Western church here in America as much, but we do do it when it comes to Easter, where one will say to the other, he is risen, and then the other will respond, he is risen indeed. And so I thought we could just begin uh, Easter Sunday morning, Resurrection Sunday, this way. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Okay, amen. We're done. <laughs> Go enjoy brunch. Uh, this morning, I, I want to talk about hope. Uh, the title of this morning is called Hope Rising. Uh, I don't know of anything more needed in our world today than that of hope. Uh, it just looks like we live in a hopelessly broken world. Every time you flip on the news, something new tragically has happened. And so I want to wrestle with this question. Where do you find hope in a hopelessly broken world? Where do you find hope when it looks like government will fail you, when it looks like war, immigration, and refugees, and all the rest that's happening around our world? Where do you find hope in a hopelessly broken world? And more specifically, how do you personally experience hope? Like, not just to have hope that our country's going to be okay, not that our world isn't going to self-destruct, but how do you personally experience hope? You know, when we use the word hope, often we use it in this way. It's synonymous with wishing. We use the word, it's interesting how we interchangeably, I hope I win the lotto and I hope this relationship works out, or I hope they get healthy. And we use it in the term of wishing and longing. And I think when it comes to experiencing hope, that's often the problem. But one of the problems for experiencing hope is the way we use hope. Our understanding of hope isn't really what hope is at all. You know, hope isn't wishing. Hope isn't longing or this desire, or this one in a million chance. Hope, true hope that is, is not synonymous with this wishing or I so hope this happens in that context. Hope is synonymous with expectation. See, this is what hope is. This is why it's needed in our world. Hope is the confidence or the confident expectation of a better tomorrow. It's this confident expectation, this expectation that the tomorrow that awaits you is better than the today that is, that's here. See, here's what hope is. Hope happens the moment uh, someone gets engaged. When that person gets on their knee and they offer the ring, and in that moment they have hope that they have a future day that awaits them. There's a promise in this moment that is signified and serious with an expensive ring, right? Uh, but it is the confident expectation that the wedding day is coming. Hope is when you say, 
Okay, I have a dream vacation, and I'm going to buy the tickets. And then you have the tickets in your hand, and you have this confident expectation that the vacation is coming. Why? Because you already have the tickets in hand, and so you are excited, anticipating, and can't wait for that day to come. Isn't it amazing Isn't it amazing what you can endure, what I can endure, when we know, when we're confident that we have a better tomorrow awaiting us? My kids experienced hope when I promised them they could have a dog four years ago. (laughs) Every, Every year at Christmas, they remind me of this. Dad! When are we getting a dog? Soon. (laughs) When soon? Soon. And that's part of the problem with hope, too. Not just our understanding of it, but we've experienced this. Is hope seems to have a way of disappointing us, doesn't it? You see, hope disappoints when that person or thing which you're putting or your expectations are centered on, let you down. Hope disappoints us. Like a well-intentioned dad promising his kids a dog for Christmas. What's interesting is we put our hope in all sorts of things, don't we? We put our hope in our careers that somehow that will produce a better tomorrow. Somehow that will produce, you know, uh, the life that we long for. Maybe it's in your education. Maybe it's in your 401k. Maybe it's in that relationship. Maybe your hopes in your kids. And it's such a dreadful thing when we come to realize that that thing or that person cannot support the weight of our hope, isn't it? And I think that's probably why we revert back to hope as wishing. Because when hope is this confident expectation and you're looking forward to it and it doesn't happen, it, the disappointment and the pain is unbearable at times. So, how do you experience hope Like true hope. This confident expectation. In a hopelessly broken world, how do you personally experience that? Did you know that at the very center of Easter is hope itself? That this is the story of hope. And by the way, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, followers of Jesus are are supposed to be the most hope-filled people on the planet because of what happened at Easter. Now, to unpack why Easter and at the center is, um, is hope, I, I want to do something with you, and I want to tell a resurrection story. Anybody want to hear a resurrection story this morning? Like you woke up, you came ready to hear a resurrection story? Perfect. I'm going to tell you a different resurrection story than the one you're thinking of, uh, but I'm going to tell you actually the resurrection story that ultimately ended up uh, getting Jesus crucified. 
But what, we, what I want to see, is what, what, what I want you to see is actually in this story, in the life of Jesus, is that there's actually a problem with Jesus. There's this problem with Jesus, and if we uh, embrace this problem with Jesus, we'll really see the power of Easter. See, because we talk about Jesus this way. He's such a good man. And he, he was. He lived an exemplary life. And he did. His teachings have revolutionized our world. What a great, great teachers. In fact, historians say that his life has had the single greatest impact on our culture and society today. And yet there's this problem with Jesus. There's this problem that if we don't address, we'll miss hope itself. Now, I don't know if you have your Bible. You don't have to. I want to tell you a story, but if you do, you can open up to John chapter 11, where I'm going to tell a very different resurrection story. It's recounted by John, one of Jesus' disciples who followed, who walked with Jesus. He was an eyewitness to these events. And he writes it down and records it in this way. He says, now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany. That's just about two miles outside of Jerusalem. This two miles away from in a few months where Jesus would ultimately be crucified. The village of Mary and her sister Martha. So sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one whom you love is sick. Lazarus, Mary, Martha. These are some of Jesus' inner circle. They have supported him throughout his missionary journey. They've been a home base for him when he's in Judea. This isn't a random stranger asking for help. These are close, intimate friends. It says, the one you love is sick. Now, this is really interesting. It says, Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus. Yet. Don't you hate it when the next line says yet? Yet. When he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two days more. And I think for some, this is where the tension lies with us, with God. When we're talking about hope. Because you prayed, and it seemed like God didn't answer You prayed, and that relationship still didn't work out. You prayed, and it seemed like God was late. I mean, if we stopped right there, we we would just think, okay, you said you loved them, and yet you delayed. And somehow we begin to believe that the delay of God means he's disinterested and does not care. I mean, he's healing people who he doesn't even know and the one he loves sick, and yet he waits two more days. Well, time had passed. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. 
days. It probably took a day to find or two to find Jesus, waited two more days, and then worked his way out over there. And Lazarus has been in the tomb. His friend, his buddy, the one he loves, by the way, is dad. Four days. Now, here's what's interesting. This is just a little Bible geek stuff, if you want to geek out with me here. Um, uh, in Jewish... Um, Ah, what is it? What's the word? Huh? Not customs. It's kind of superstitions. There you go. And Jewish superstitions, they believed, uh, they had this belief that the, um, that the soul would actually linger around the body for three days, uh, hoping to find a way to re-enter the body. But after three days and decomposition began, the, the soul would leave the body. It's just this, this kind of weird belief that they had. It wasn't a common one, but, uh, but there's many who held to this. And so uh, it was interesting. Interesting to note that Lazarus been dead four days, been a tomb four days. All hope is lost. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. Mary stayed at home. If you know anything about the sisters, Martha's the busy one. Mary's the one that sits at Jesus' feet. This fits so in line with their personality as she's like, okay, I'm going to go dress this. All right. Where were you? And that's what she says. Next slide. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. That's the conversation many people are having, aren't we? Where were you? What's going on? Why didn't you come in time? I get that you're busy. I get that you're kind of a big time, big deal, miracle worker. We supported you. We were your home base. And I know if you had been here. I know it. I know if you had been here, my brother wouldn't be dead. She goes on. But I know, bless you, but I know that even God, even now God will give you whatever you ask. And then Jesus says this, your brother will rise again. Yeah, hallelujah, but that's so unhelpful in that moment. <laughs> I mean, we believe that, but that's kind of what Christians do in hard moments, if we're honest. It's saying the nice, kitschy, catchy thing. It's like, no, 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 there's, there's hope. No, 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 hey, it'll be okay. Everything will get better. What doesn't kill you, oh, wait a second, sorry. That was way insensitive in this moment, sorry. We say stuff like this. And God works all things together for good. And yes, that is true. And yes, your brother will rise again. But in that moment, just imagine how that felt to Martha. Jesus says this. Next slide. 
Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Okay, we're getting into a theological conversation. And by the way, this is so fascinating because Jesus interacts with Martha in the way Martha needed to be uh, met with. And then we'll see in a second, he interacts with Mary in the way she needed to be uh, met with. But he's, she says, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. But here's where we see the problem with Jesus, by the way. This is so problematic. This should mess up your category. This should cause you either to make two decisions. One, he is who he said he is, or he's crazy. <laughs> like, boncos. Because here's the problem with Jesus. Not that he was a good man. Not that he did incredible things, lived this exemplary life, had these great teachings. The problem with Jesus were the promises he made, the claims he made about himself. It's problematic. You can't get around it. He says this to Mary or Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. No, he could have said, I bring resurrection and life. I'll provide resurrection and life. But he said this, by the way, FYI, I get that this feels hopeless, but you need to understand. I said, your brother will rise again, but here's what you need to know. The source of life is in your presence. Resurrection has arrived. And so you just need to know that I am the resurrection and the life. And here's why it's so problematic. Notice what he says next. He who believes in, help me out. Now, this is why this is problematic. This is what differentiates Jesus from every other major religious leader. Jesus never called his disciples to follow an idea or his teachings. Jesus called his disciples to believe in him. Don't believe in my ideas. Don't believe in my teachings. Believe, put your trust in me. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. I mean, you gotta have, that's gotta be problematic. See, back to our conversation about hope. See, hope is fundamentally based on a promise, right? It's what the engaged person did when they got on their knees. It was a promise in the moment. And a promise is only as good as the one making the promise, right? Your hope is only as strong as the one who's made the promise. And Jesus, in this moment, makes an incredible promise and a claim that either he was the son of God, or he was crazy. Because he says this, do you believe this? Do you believe I am resurrection? Do you believe I am life? Do you believe that if you put your faith, if you put the weight of your hope in me, you will have life 
and hope. See, that's the problem. That's the problem with Jesus. He claimed what no person should claim. Now, four weeks ago, we got a dog. Show you a picture of my dog. <laughs> that is the cutest dog. Stinking like a stuffed animal. Um, we had this really big argument about what we would call our dog. We had this conversation, and it literally turned into a bit of an argument. Uh, as our kids and everyone's trying to figure out what we're going to name the dog, and you know, someone had racks like me, uh, and, and others didn't. At one time, I was joking about calling the dog Jehoshaphat, and we could call it J-Fat for short. Um, and that uh, was promptly shot down, although my boys loved it. My boys loved it. We eventually landed with Finley. I love, I love the name Finley because it means something to us. It was a play on words for us to say, finally. (laughs) That we finally got a dog. See, the problem with Jesus is he made claims and called people that no person should ever claim to be. And the power of Easter is Jesus is your finally. That he has showed up. See, let me finish the story with you, and then, and then we'll close this out in application. Jesus is walking his way to the tomb, and Mary shows up on the scene. And I told you that he meets Mary in the way that Mary needed to be met. And instead of giving her this theological, philosophical answer, he just weeps. The shortest verse in the Bible is, Jesus wept. In fact, there's, there's this word in here, and it's two different times, where he reacts in anger. And, and theologians say it's this, this emotional convulsion that erupts in an audible noise. When he sees the hurt and the pain and the destruction of the hopelessly broken world, Jesus weeps, even though he knew what was coming next. What's so powerful about this is you know and I know in this moment you see that you have a God who cares, a God who meets you right where you're at, a God who doesn't just say tomorrow's going to be a better day, so don't hurt today, but a God who meets you into the day in the pain and weeps with you even though he knows what's coming next because he loves you. And so he walks over to the tomb and he walks and he asks them, roll the, the stone away. And their sisters are arguing, going, you know what? It's going to smell. He'd been in there a while. This is Palestine. You know, it is hot. This is not good. Jesus, let's just, let's just look at the stone. Just look at it. But not, you know, let's not roll it. Roll it away. And then it says, and then Jesus shouted in a loud voice, Lazarus! Come forth. 
and Lazarus was raised from the grave. What's interesting is that word shouted is used six times in the Bible, in the New Testament. It's used once of Jesus here raising Lazarus from uh, the grave. It's used one more time on Palm Sunday when the people are shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. And then it's used four times when people are shouting, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. See, raising Lazarus is not enough to make and hold the claim that you are resurrection and you are life. It's good enough to say that you can bring life and provide life, but you are not the source of resurrection and life. And today we celebrate a very different resurrection story, don't we? See, the power of Easter comes because of the problem of Jesus, that he did not leave it open to us to simply believe that he was a good man, great teacher. He left us with a clear decision. Either you are the source of life, the resurrection and Lord, or you're a loony and I have to decide. See, all of Christianity hangs on a singular historical event. It's so beautiful because you don't have to wade through philosophy and theology to determine whether Christianity is true. You simply have to examine a singular historical event, the resurrection, the historical reality. All major historians believe these things about the resurrection of Jesus, by the way, theist or atheist, that he was crucified on a Roman cross, that he was buried in a tomb, that the tomb was empty and that his disciples believed that he rose from the dead and they died for that belief. The tomb was empty. Now you can argue why or how the tomb was empty. But the power, the power of Easter is this, that Jesus proved his promises true in his resurrection. That the hope you've been waiting for, that we can have the confidence of a better tomorrow, that the finally, not finally, but the finally has arrived because the resurrection has taken place. And that he is not just a good man, he is the God man. He is the resurrection and the life. So, the power of Easter is this. Hope has a name. His name's Jesus. Hope isn't a distant idea. Hope isn't a wishing or wanting. Hope isn't just an impersonal force. Hope is incredibly personal. You have a God who cares and longs to have a deep relationship with you. And hope, by the way, defeated the grave. Do you know that perhaps one of the Ah, and it's not perhaps. It's the enemy of hope for us, real tangibly, when is that death always has the final say. 
The enemy of hope, the the brokenness of our world is no matter how much we think the better tomorrow comes, we know there's a tomorrow that comes that means no more. And hope, Jesus, has defeated the grave so that death no longer has the final say. Jesus has the final say. So, So when you have Jesus, you have hope. Like, if you want to experience hope, if you want to walk out of here with hope, a confidence that a better tomorrow awaits you, it's in the person of Jesus, demonstrated by the resurrection that he indeed is who he said he is. If you want to have life, you have Jesus. If I have Jesus, I have resurrection. You know, religion ultimately wants this. You just kind of examine when it's real religious. Ultimately wants power and control. Jesus did not come to institute a new religion. I get it that... We've done some religious-y things over the years. He came to institute a relationship with God. Relationship wants this, wants connection and presence. Wants to connect with you. Wants to be present with you. Hope. You can experience today not that everything outside's going to work out right, but that you can have confidence of a better tomorrow. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Now, here's, here's what I want to close with. Jesus doesn't want to resuscitate your old life. He wants to bring a resurrection in your life to new life. And here's the tension that we have. The tension that we have is we often think what we have in our hands are, is better than what Jesus is offering. And so we want a little bit of Jesus and what we have in our hands that we think will bring hope. And the invitation... The invitation of God today for each of us, whether you've been a follower of Jesus or you're brand new to this whole thing, is to simply go, okay, I'm going to take all the things in my hands and hand them over to you. Because I believe you are life. And I believe that you want to bring new life And I long, I've tried so many things to experience hope and I've been disappointed more than I can count. I'm going to today put the weight of my life, my hope, I'm going to believe that you are who you said you are and you did what you said you did. And the resurrection is this incredible stamp proving you are God. Would you pray with me as we close?
And this morning, for some, you've never heard the reality that God loves you. God longs to have a relationship with you. That you can walk out of this room with hope today. And you really need it. And I want to invite you today, you can walk out personally experiencing new life in Christ. And it's just simply by placing your trust in the reality of Jesus. Inviting him into your life to give you a new life. And so if that's where you're at, would you just pray this simple prayer? And it's not anything about the prayer. It's just your heart cry to God. Dear Jesus, I believe you are more than a good man, but you are the God man. That you came and lived a perfect life, died on the cross for my sin, for the sin of the world, and that you rose again on the third day, defeating sin and death, that I might have new life. Today, I hand you my old life. Would you give me a new life in return? And the promise of God. Remember, a promise is only as good as the one who makes it. The promises of God is today you have life and hope and resurrection. He's resurrecting you to a new life. And for others here this morning, you've been around the Christian block, but you've kept trying to add something to Jesus. It's Jesus plus something. And today, Easter Sunday, is a day where you realize it's not Jesus plus something that equals life. It's just Jesus. All I need is Jesus. All I need is Jesus. I don't need a house. I don't need everything to work out. All I need is Jesus. And where you would finally go, Jesus, you have it all. I'm telling you. The weight of the world will lift off your shoulders and hope will invade your soul. And where you just go, okay, God, you have it all. I believe. I believe. I'm placing my weight of hope in you. In Jesus' name, amen.